I'm very sure you have an important life, but whatever you are doing, stop and pay attention. It's the afternoon, a podcast with Brent and Robbie. Welcome to the Afternooner Sports Podcast. I'm Robbie. With me, as always, is Brent. Joining us in an Idaho State University t-shirt is Sunday School Billy. Since we last recorded, Pokemon Go has come out. One, how much have you played? And two, what are the chances there's still time to get it in the Rio Olympics as an official event? I was, uh, Billy's wearing an Idaho State shirt because I brought it back for him from Idaho. I spent the last three and a half weeks in Idaho. And I was out with a friend, and we were walking along the falls. Uh, this is in Idaho Falls, right in the middle of a city. And all these people were in the park along the falls, walking with their phones. And every single one of them, from adult to kid, was doing Pokemon Go. And it was my first experience with an actual, like, this is an enormous trend. Like, this is happening. This is obsessing people. I wanted to shove every one of them into the Snake River. How many of them did you actually shove into the Snake River? Well, about three, but it actually was unrelated to the Pokemon Go stuff. Really, I can't get into why I did it, but... For legal reasons. <laughs> evidence needed to be hid. It really is phenomenal. Since being here on campus, there are a couple of Poke stops and gyms, and there are students everywhere, and it's the same thing. I see parents taking kids out for walks, and every kid is staring at their phone, and the parents staring off in the distance, wondering about the purpose of their life. It's, it's a huge fad. So yeah, we're here in the Duane Ski Memorial Studios. It feels great to be back here in the friendly confines on the campus of Spring Arbor University. Do we think there's a Pokemon Go in the Duane Ski Memorial Studio? There's not. Billy, uh, yeah, wait, not... wait, 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 wait. You say that with, have you done it? Have I, you done this Pokemon Go? I have it on my phone. That's a and, yes. Uh, That's a so yes. yeah, I've played it. But because it's... Po- Pokemon for you is childhood. Yeah, it's very for, nostalgic. For Robbie and I, this was not childhood. Sure, that was your guy. You guys were like, 30 when that came out <laughs> yes the guy who's playing pokemon <laughs> if you just keep talking to enough people in your generation you might feel like an adult doing it oh that's yeah that's fair yeah it's uh i i can see how people get hooked you know it's the sort of pay to play you have to really be invested and maybe pay a little money into it in order to do well but it's it's too much time and not enough nostalgia for me, I guess. So I, I haven't really I don't think I've played it in a week. So um, can we take bets on when the fad dies? Like how like this can't have that much staying sure. power, right? And I even saw an article that they're, you know, losing users daily, but I think it'll I mean, I think it'll level out, but I still think it'll be pretty strong in the couple years to come. Will anyone die? In the wilderness in the winter due to Pokemon Go. Uh, two people have already fallen off a cliff. One, fallen off a cliff? One, there were two guys. They were they jumped a fence to get to the Pokemon, and one of them fell 75 to 100 feet. The other one fell like 50 feet. They're both fine. Well, fine? Two, they're how, both how are, fine. How are you fine? They're in the hospital, but they're not dead. So they didn't free fall 75 feet. I don't know. Uh, so here's, here's my question about the Pokemon Go thing. Are, are users, players, do they determine where these stops are, or is it all determined by Nintendo, who it, owns Pokemon? It's all determined by the company that made the game called Niantic, which is actually our sponsor this week. Go to www.niantic.com and search Afternooner. <laughs> Tell them Brent sent you. It's a spe- There's a special Afternooner Pokemon. Yeah, it's a combination of Brent and Robbie's head sort of fused We're a three-headed monster. It looks hideous yeah. and beautiful at the same time. So how does I think what Robbie's going to get at, though, is how does Nintendo or whatever this yeah. company is, yeah. how do they accidentally not put one on railroad tracks? Uh, well, so there are fun... There's, there's one on a subway track. I actually saw a picture. There's one on a subway track. It's are a, you serious? It's a lot of, like, memorial places or, you know, hot places. So it's a lot of churches, a lot of, like, you know, veterans memorials or... A lot of like dormitories for college universities. I don't know. There's a fountain, one in the middle of a bay that you actually have to take a boat to get to is one of the gyms. So it's just a lot of weird places that this company collected all of this data using Google Maps and another one of their games. And that's how they determined, you know, whether it's. So when the people fell off the cliff, yeah. is there a Pokemon just hanging in well, the air so off here's the, the cliff? Thing. There are Pokemon and then there are Pokey Stops. Okay, I'd are... up stop. 
We've gone too Stop. far. Okay. We're done. There are Pokemon, and then there are places you go to get items and so battle. are either of these stops or whatever you sure. just said, you said there's a couple on campus. You said residence halls, college residence halls, and you work in a residence hall. Is your residence, is your apartment, Billy, is the bed where you sleep? Is that a Pokemon stop? It is fortunately <laughs> not. My side of campus doesn't have, I think because my building's new, it isn't in there like servers or information. So it's really the old side of campus, Muffet Hall, uh, the Student Center, Ormston Hall. So how the, many stops do we have on campus? Uh, there's probably five or six, and then there's like three or four gyms where people can battle stop each it. other. <laughs> so wait is this a, worse I, or I, better than marching band? It's... it's <laughs> I am so glad you guys brought a marching band, but I don't want to leave this Pokemon subject well, yet. But I want I'm I have some marching band updates. Okay, right. well we can't wait. Well, I, suddenly I want to talk about Pokemon Go Let's more, talk. just Let's to go. keep avoiding this. Two top. dead bodies have been found while people have been searching for Pokemon. So look at all the good Pokemon's doing. Here's the here's the <laughs> here's the other good. thing. I hope that's their tag. They're like company tag. We help find dead bodies. We've solved three cold cases. Um, <laughs> here's here's the thing with the the Pokemon. It get like Billy was saying. Hey. It gets people outside, people going places and doing things, especially kids who aren't very active. So you could make a small argument. There's a positive there. But the downside is they're staring into these screens, and it's, it has to be this mediated experience because they're staring into their screens yeah. through whatever, wherever they're going or whatever they're doing. Yeah, that's exactly why it's even more more destructive than uh, – I'm not – Look, I don't care, but it's, it just seems like it has the potential <laughs> to be more destructive than just watching TV because when you're watching TV, you just admit – I'm just watching TV. And now you've got someone saying like, oh, I am outside. But it's this augmented reality, which always has to be mediated. So now they're self-delusional that they're actually maybe encountering so, the outdoors. Maybe self-delusional, but at least they are getting a little more physical exercise, right? And Brent's Kelvin Scale Hot Take was brought to you by <laughs> Nintech. What was, what was that? What was Niantic. That? Niantic. So does it not matter that this is on private property and things like that? Well, that's something. So there is a guy whose house was converted from an old church uh, and it's registered in their servers still as like a church. So it's a Pokemon gym. So he has people like standing in his lawn trying to catch Pokemon or battle each other. But it's like his front lawn. So he's got like 30 kids in the morning, like sitting there all staring at their phones. Two people have been shot at because somebody thought that they were burglars. They were sitting in a car outside of his house and they thought, or on his property and they thought that they were burglars. So they, he shot at the car. Uh, there's a lot of crazy like people but are here, going to die because of Pokemon Go. It's inevitable. Did those people still get their Pokemon? I think points? they <laughs> did what they needed to do. They they caught I, the Pokemon. I, I wish that my front lawn was a Pokemon Go stop because turning the hose, not on the kids, but turning the hose on a whole bunch of man children would be the greatest. Thing. Because that like, I, like I'm to. watering my lawn. You're in the way. You're I'm I'm watering my lawn. Just come on, Robbie. Just can you not imagine how great it would be to just what you've never had a like only when like cats are mating. Have you ever had a legitimate opportunity to get out the hose? So, Brent, to answer you, eventually you will be able to suggest to the company that your house is a pokey stop. So oh, that's a, that's so, a reality. Oh, so, yeah. so you can request that. You're going to be able to request that. You'll be able to request that places, like suggest that places, hey, make this place a gym or a pokey stop. Oh, or that's great. Take so this some, down or so take some down. pervert is like, hey, I want my my basement to be Pokemon Go, and here come the 12-year-olds. Hopefully. Like, that sounds like a terrible yeah. idea. Well, I think a lot of it will be businesses, so I think it'll be okay. kind of restricted to businesses or like. So by the time uh, Pokemon jumps the shark, all these businesses will then have their pokey stop that no one will care about anymore. No one will give a care about. <laughs> passion. As much passion as I know you want to talk about marching band. So I'm going to I'm going to give you like a 2 minute window and I've got your mute button eyed right now. And if it just goes too long, I want to press it. So you want to talk about marching band. It's been 6 weeks since we've recorded. I'm letting you have this. Go. So on our campus, we have summer camps and high school groups come on uh, every summer and hold their camps, whatever. We have a few marching bands that come on campus. One, right now as we speak and record this episode, my high school marching band is about a quarter mile away inside the track practicing. My high school marching band director is still, is not amazingly, not retired yet. Mr. Nectarline is over there on the scaffolding, marching, directing away the students, high school students, whatever they call them, marchers. But that's not what I want to talk about. I saw a Facebook post about six weeks ago or a month ago, shortly after we recorded our Father's Day special. 
and our marching band got new uniforms for this fall season. And so the old uniforms, the uniforms that I marched in, could be bought for $25. You can get the hat with the plume, the jacket, the pants, the cape. I sent that $25 check into Mr. Nectar Line immediately. I have not received my marching uniform yet, but I will make a promise to record a podcast in my marching uniform this fall. That's got to be so hot. It would, it'll be incredibly hot, especially here in the Dwayne Ski Memorial Studio. I, I know you're not supposed to have the uniform yet, but I want to go to the track right now and start screaming, Hey, Nectar Line! Nectar Line! Where's Robbie's uniform? Would he, would he remember who you are? I think he would remember who I am, and I sent him... The checks actually had to be sent directly to him, so I sent him a snail mail. I sent him a note say congratulations on the new uniforms. I even put my business card in there just so he would knew, knew that I had at least a respectable job now because his memories of me as a high school student, he would probably not expect that I would necessarily have a respectable job right now. What do you think he expected you to be? I don't know. Professional jazz trumpet player? I'm confident he did not expect that. At one point, I I tried to play the xylophone, you know, in band. I tried to pick up the trombone, and I mentioned to him, "Yeah, maybe thinking of a secondary instrument for college." And he just looked at me. He's like, "Why don't you just focus on that first instrument?" <laughs> nectar line. Sounds like an encouraging man. That's a nectar line straight talk express right there. So you don't want to go say anything to him out? They've actually been on campus the last three summers doing their camps, and I've never went out there, partly because I thought he was retired. I could not believe that, that he would still be the director, and I just found out that that still is him. You don't want to fire, like, water balloons at your old marching band or anything? If uh, if the podcast doesn't go over, uh, I might walk over there and just uh, say hello. But as we all three of us know, the podcast always goes over <laughs> over time, which That's... is a benefit to you, our listeners. So it's been, it's been six weeks. We've got a lot to do, so we're almost certainly going to go over. We've, we've been different places. Robbie, you took a cross-Michigan bike tour with your entire family. That, that listeners, I wanted to describe to you the bike that Robbie was on. You went how many miles? I'm going to round up to 300. It was okay. actually 289. 300 miles as part of a big group. A big group of 800 riders. It's the pedal across lower Michigan. Hmm. And... Robbie was on essentially a double tandem. Yep. The first half of the tandem was Robbie and his wife, Maria. The second half of the tandem was your now seven and... Is he seven yet? Not yet. Okay, so you're six and your four-year-old. And then in a trailer behind the second tandem was your two-year-old daughter. So there's actually four seats on this bike and then a little carriage. Uh, Yeah, like... The, I like the word carriage. That's nice. Uh, so, yeah, we were pulling all of our children on one connected contraption. And you really are pulling them because your sons aren't, although they can pedal on their smaller tandem behind your larger tandem, they aren't really producing a lot of, as we say in cycling, juice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, juice is the technical cycling term. But, yeah, they did, occasionally we'd get some boost out of them but it was rare and at what, what was the high speed that you got this bike to this bike with five people on it over half of whom are children i'm right. not sharing that on the air i, I will i can't imagine it was fast over 30 miles per hour i don't believe that he was go they were going downhill oh my god and he took this bike over 30 miles per well hour. i'm not worried about the bike being taken 30 miles an hour it's the three children on the bike i'm worried about going over 30 miles an hour yeah if we actually did go 30 miles an hour i would have been worried about that too but i'm not confirming or denying that we went over 30 miles an hour they the people that have ridden this course or this route this tour before they said this was the hilliest the toughest route that they've done Maybe ever. So you, my story sounds correct because it would be going downhill. But there were there also there were plenty of uphills. We never averaged for the day faster than fifteen miles an hour. What was going through your mind when you were traveling down that hill at thirty miles an hour? I never said I was traveling down. I mean, if you want me to answer what was going through my mind when we were going downhill and the winds blowing through my hair. Yeah. We were going fast. I yeah. was like, man, that's fast. We need to slow down. 
What percentage? But of... the, here's the other thing that you're thinking: you see the next hill up ahead, and I would be thinking we need to slow down for the safety of our family on this bike bicycle. And my wife is behind me, who can't see the speedometer, and she's like, "We need to start pedaling hard on our way downhill so we can get up that next one without too much difficulty." Because once a contraption, we're pulling 200 pounds of kids and bikes behind us. Once you start going uphill and you lose your momentum, you're not getting it back. I don't even like going downhill on bikes when it's just me. We walked up two hills. We walked up two hills. There was one, there was one categorized climb in professional cycling. They have categorized climbs. Categories five is the easiest and one is the hardest. But actually, there's a harder one. It's called category HC which stands for hors catégorie, which is beyond categorization. Those are the kind of hills they ride in the Tour de France. Their own, only categorized climb on the entire route was a category five, and mm. there was one categorized climb. We did not walk that one. I just want, on the record, we did not walk the hardest hill of the tour. I will make a note of that. As soon as you said that French phrase, I stopped listening. I'm sorry. <laughs> so we, so you're, you're saying you'd rather me get back to marching band, Billy? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to do right now because we're talking about cycling and we're talking about Marchie Band and Pokemon. I like, just We're 15 minutes in and we haven't even said what this special episode is all about. Well, let's do it. Let's do it right now. But you've been in Idaho. I have been in Idaho. Uh, my wife was born and raised in Idaho and we spent several weeks in Idaho. We love it out there. I used to live out there. That's where I met her. It's a glorious land. So I have a friend whose religion is sort of Idaho and he can name all the peaks and so we went out hiking and... We were on the edge of what's called the Frank Church Wilderness in Idaho. The Frank Church Wilderness, which has no roads in it at all. None whatsoever. Not None. even dirt That's roads great. or forest roads. But we, we went down the Salmon River, and uh, we went to the spot. So we got a picture at the spot where this is where Lewis and Clark. Lewis and Clark, uh, Sacagawea, they run into Sacagawea. And what's the French guy's name? Carboneau or Charbonneau? It's either Carboneau or Charbonneau. I've heard it both ways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, Sacagawea meets her long-lost brother because she was kidnapped and sold at ransom. So she meets her long-lost brother in eastern Idaho. And so her long-lost brother is a part of the Shoshone tribe. And they take them up to the Salmon River and they say, hey, don't go down the Salmon River because you can't, you can't do it. There's too many rapids. And, uh, you know, white guys Lewis and Clark are like, yeah, we'll do it. And so Lewis sends Clark out down the Salmon River also called the River of No Return. Wow. He sends him down the uh, Salmon River, and eventually Clark gets to a point where he's describing the, the, the sides of the river as, like, the sides of trees. Like, there's nowhere to go because you're just in this canyon, and uh, he has to turn around. And so they turn around, and they have to leave the boats, and they go around and go up into Montana. Mm-hmm. But uh, what's, it's, the, it's the longest unbridged river in the United States. Oh, wow. That's the middle fork of the Salmon River. And we were right where the middle fork meets the head of the Salmon River. It's fantastic. It's beautiful. Nice. And this segment was brought to you by the Idaho State Board of Tourism. Idaho. I, I'm telling you what. Come every, and visit us. Everyone goes to Colorado, and I think Montana, Western Montana is reaching sort of Colorado status now. But uh, Idaho really is the gem. Idaho's like, if you need to do wilderness stuff, Go to Idaho. No, it doesn't have any 14,000 peaks. But if you're one of those guys who's like counting how many 14,000 peaks you've climbed, you're not listening to this podcast. Well, they're probably not anymore, Brent. I don't want them to. I don't want you as a listener. I know you want to sponsor us, a lot of money. You want to pay for Robbie's uniform as well as a whole lot of other uniforms. I'm saying no. Get out. If you were a Pokemon, I'd battle you in a gym right now. Is that a real gym or a Pokemon gym? Perfect. Did I do that right? Yeah. Perfect, Brent. And I don't think we want to really know the answer. But, Billy, what have you been doing since the last Afternoon or Sports podcast? Because that's how I mark time in my life is every (laughs) – how much – what have I done since the last podcast? I'm I'm trying to remember. Did I talk about the canoe trip that I took last podcast? No. No, I think – So, Annie and I, my my lovely wife, Annie – and the Tabones, which is another couple that lives on uh, Spring they posted campus. Uh, the afternoon or twice. They have, yeah. We went on a canoe trip up north with them, north northern Michigan. We so it's actually really fascinating. We started in Mayo, Michigan, which is uh, east of Grayling, which are probably two places nobody's ever heard of. I've never heard of either about, one. About three hours north, and we were on the Osable River, and we started 
and we canoed four days. We were on the water for about 22 hours. It's not counting camping. And we went out all the way to Lake Huron. Wow. And it turns out that from Grayling to Lake Huron, we don't really know how far it is because rivers wind and bend. And so we, it could have been 60 miles of paddling. It could have been 120. We really have no idea. But that's, they actually do a canoe race up there every year. And they start at 9 o'clock at night and finish at noon the next day. Doing the same thing that you did in 22 hours. It took us 22 hours. Canoe racers do it in like 15. But, you, but and, and that's without breaks for the most well, part. And they actually, you guys... That's without breaks, so they just go straight. And they actually do more than we did because they start in Grayling. And we started in Mayo, which is, you know, 20 or 30 miles east of Grayling. Do you know if this race is something like a Boston Marathon or something like that that you have to qualify for? I don't know if you have to qualify for it. Uh, but they're, they have, I mean, they're can, all of their gear weighs probably, you know, 15 pounds. Like their canoe and their paddles because it's all like Kevlar, carbon fiber stuff. Well, obviously, because so, what I'm thinking is let's just do it. Can you have three people in the canoe? I think you can only have two. I've actually looked into the have race you? before. There is someone in this area... Who is like an Olympic? We need to we need to figure out who he is, but he's an Olympic canoe he's, paddler. He's like, won this race before multiple won, times, yeah. and recently, within the last few years, the race was determined by like less than a second between first and second place. Oh, you go fifteen hours. It was like seconds. It so might have been seconds. I, I know very little about competitive canoeing. You're being humble. But I wonder, is it like the same kind of dynamic as in cycling or NASCAR, where there's drafting? So. Are you? Is there incentive to kind of be right behind a lead canoe because they're doing more work, they're breaking the water for you? Is there any benefit? Are you more efficient in the water or saving energy? And you take turns? Because that's how cycling works. You take turns. And at the very end, you more or less try to beat each other at the end. So I wonder if competitive canoe, long-distance canoe racing know, works the same way. They're doing most of this race in the dark at night. And there were five portages, five or six portages over dams. Uh, it's As the, in like beaver dams? No. So the Foot Brothers, they're, they're all like the Foot Dams. There's like Foot Dam Pond. I think it was the Foot Brothers, and they're all owned by consumers now. There's like five or consumers six Energy, dams. Consumers Energy, the local power Energy. company. Yep. Another one of our sponsors this week. Go to consumersenergy.com and type in Paddle Racer, and you get to listen to the afternoon for free then. <laughs> and you don't have to pay for your uh, energy bill that month. Yep. Just Well, just tear up the bill because it's wrong. It should be zero. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the Foot Brothers built all these dams. So you, you have to, you know, you come up through these lakes and you have to pick up your canoe and all of your gear out of the water, carry it, you know, two or 300 yards. At one point while we were doing that, I got attacked by a swallow. Apparently I was too close to their nest, but it uh, took a dive bomb at me three or four times and got pretty close to my face. So that was fun. What do they call it in Top Gun when he goes by the air tower? I've never seen Top Gun. Buzzes, he buzzes the air. Maybe it was just buzzing you and uh, well, having a good time. I it was, was the maverick of I mud swallows. Was not a fan of it. So in the dark, that's what I'd be worried about. In the yeah. dark, how do you know the portage if you're at the at the dam? And what if you wait too late? Well, you go well, over the dam when you ram the dam. Then you know you're there. You're, I don't think there's any way you're missing that because it's big open water at that. I mean, you're on a river for sort of the first half of this race, and then but it it's opens dark. up into big lakes. But I if it's dark, you're... so I have kind of a fear of dams, uh, simply because I worry. You know, sometimes you see little uh, swimming areas near a dam, mm -hmm. or you see people canoeing, and I'm always afraid. Like if they don't, if they don't get away, are there turbines that are going to chew people up? No, it. The water is very slow moving. They've got ropes and buoys that are sort of blocking it off. It, you would really have to try to make it into the dam to go. Well, over. the afternooner might actually get chewed up by a turbine if we did this race. And also, I think if you're racing in this Osable canoe marathon, you probably have a good idea of when you're getting to the dams and when you're not getting to the dams. How, the long, how long would it take us? To do it? Yeah. If we started in Grayling, so we did what they did, and we were like, we're not, we're not taking breaks, we're eating in the canoe, we're not stopping. We could maybe do the whole thing in twenty hours, I would think. So it took us twenty-two hours to do right. of paddling to do it at a sort of leisurely pace, you know, not really killing it all the time. And if we planned it out, we, you know, did it um, at night. Why when don't the boats we? How many times is Brent dropping his paddle, and we have to stop and go back to get intentionally it? intentionally or unintentionally? That's a good question. I'm I mean, tired. I'm getting cranky. I'm just throwing that thing down. The first few times he's doing it on by accident. But after like three hours and just I don't even the sun's not even out, but I've got heat stroke somehow. I'm trying to eat the paddle. I I, I think it's just a long sandwich. Really, I'm sort of picturing what ends up happening as 
Brent is taking a nap on the bottom of the canoe. Robbie is talking about marching band or bicycling, and I'm the only one paddling. It sounds yeah, like that's fair. It sounds like maybe with the Afternooner Sports Podcast should just sponsor a boat for you and Afternooner Jeff Tabone to do the race, and we just have. But you have to have this canoe that is emblazoned with the Afternooner on the side. Except you can't see it, right? Because it's it'll, underwater. It'll be, no, it'll be high on oh, the okay. high on the side. And also, we also how about we get him a sail that has the Afternooner on it. <laughs> So really, we're talking rivers here. We're talking the Salmon River, mm-hmm. which Clark could not go down in his dugout. Yeah. And we're talking about the Grayling River? The Osable River. The, I'm sorry, the Osable mm-hmm. River, which you and lovely wife Annie were able to go down. Mm-hmm. So what? Just, just by putting these two things together, you are more impressive to me than, is it William Clark? Well, I think it's Mary, William Clark. Meriwether Lewis. Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. Well, I appreciate that, Brent. Yeah. That guy didn't know what he was doing. Which is the one that uh, kind of... Uh, Killed himself? After he went, went off the rails after the expedition. That's Meriwether Lewis. He did that on the Natchez Trail in Tennessee, and there's still... There's, there's a conspiracy there's a theory, theory conspiracy around... There's a conspiracy theory, uh, because I, I, no one was actually there in the you know, way station when he shot. It was in, late at night, and they heard a... They heard a clamor up above, and then he was shot. Uh, he might have even been shot in the chest too, but uh, yeah, that it is a is an unfortunate end for Meriwether Lewis. Who are they saying would have potentially shot him? Um, highwaymen, oh. because the Natchez Trail goes through Tennessee, and this was one of these way stations on it. So, Billy, you mentioned that one of the winners of this uh, 120 mile or so race, mm-hmm. he's local, but he's also been an Olympian. I, so what was he in? The Olympic canoe? Is that a thing? That's not a thing. There's think, paddling. Uh, paddling events. what? Paddling what? Rowing. I mean, rowing. Okay. I could be wrong that he was an Olympian, uh, but he's a, of Olympic caliber athlete. That's oh. the way to say okay. it. I like that. But speaking of the Olympics, this is our, I mean, I know it, the episode's half over, but this is our special Olympics preview episode no, or no. special. Special an- Olympic Edition? No, we gotta we gotta make sure we're saying this correctly because it's not about the Special Olympics, which we are both fans of. Absolutely, are fans we have of. experience with. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a special on the Olympics, our anti-Olympic special. In quotes. <laughs> so we're not talking about the Special Olympics. We're talking about the Rio Summer Olymp 2016 Summer Games, and uh, probably not very favorably. Yeah. Uh, I, I I've been doing some reason. I mean, I already, I I I collect negative information about the Olympics <laughs> as like a hobby. Like it's just there's a certain Schadenfreude in it because it's so corrupt. So I thought what we could do is we could talk about the history of the modern Olympics for a few minutes and then move into the Rio Games and then we we I want to talk about a couple events in the Olympics that if you are going to watch these are the events to watch and they're not the glory boy events like swimming and gymnastics they're the subtle ones the ones that you know these are people just doing their job and they're going back to their regular jobs so modern olympics started in is it 1896 it's 1896 is the first games but it's actually it was actually sort of a movement that was growing in the mid-19th century because these these TV executives in the mid-19th century said, we need to create some event that we can make money off and market to fill some TV airtime in the summer every few years. Yeah, I mean, it actually was a, a bit, oh, I mean, it's a bit nationalistic, and it's, of course, gotten very commercial, but it, it was hopes of, of having an aesthetic triumph to it as well as an athletic triumph. These were put forward by people who were studying education, and medicine. These are, I think his name was uh, Cobertine or something like that. Pierre de Cobertine or something like that is sort of the head French guy who, Sunday School Billy, look this up. I think it's Cobertine or something like that. Uh, who was, who was, had like an education philosophy and believed athletics was really important to that. And so he wanted to see this on an international scale. He also thought it might diffuse some of the nationalist tensions that were growing as the Industrial Revolution was moving us to more and more weaponization. Uh, so it starts in the late 19th century and then goes in the 20th century. And then, of course, mid-20th century, the politics completely take over the Olympics. So most notably, 1936 is the first time because 
Nazi Germany. It's in Berlin, and Nazi Germany uses it as a demonstration of Aryan strength. And then after the Second World War, it becomes a saber-rattling technique for the United States and the Soviet Union. And then when the Cold War dies, really... NBC steps in as the but, new guerrilla you know, in town. And then we had the other political moments of uh, the 1968 Olympics. 68, when, that was know, in the Munich. Black, the Black Power Fist. That's Tommy Smith and John Carlos, along with uh, Peter... He was Australian. He's the white guy on the panel. He's Peter Duncan, I think. is it? Peter Norman. I believe it's Peter Norman. Who, it looks like he... If you look at this very iconic picture, which I think we've talked about like a I year I think we have, yeah. It, he's looking down. Norman's looking down. And it looks like he's against what they're doing. But he's actually completely in favor of it. He's wearing a lapel that... I guess he's not really looking down. He's just looking straight ahead. But he was actually very much in favor of it. Uh, he gave them... One of the guys forgot their gloves. And so Norman's the one who gave him the idea of, well, just both of you just use opposite gloves and that's why they're holding up different hands one's holding up a left hand one's holding up a right hand but all three of the yeah it's a really iconic moment but we sort of get behind that political moment because it's not be it's not the olympics being hijacked by some nationalist movement which but, is which is then what happened 1980 right the u.s boycotted did not go was it i assume in moscow yeah and then in 84 when it was in la moscow boycotted yeah, as yeah. well so it's got its own political history but I mean, nowadays it's so it, it's not political in the sense that uh, it's causing wars or anything, but everything is nationalized in the Olympics. So when you watch the Olympics, it's always how many medals does this country have? I mean, that's the way that the TV puts it forward. So it's always just a competition, not of athletics, but of gigantic superpower countries. Do you think that is put forward in other nations broadcast like Australia? Are they are they doing a medal count update every half an hour like Bob Costas does on NBC That's in the a U.S. Great question because the U.S. has always almost always on, is they they always been on top or are they almost always on top in the medal count? Well, They're, just by sheer size, you'd think. So That's the so case. I guess uh, I I guess I would just wonder if the other countries are actually do they actually care about the medal count or is it just the two or three nations that are high up in that medal count that actually talk about that on their broadcast. Is that enough history for you? I think it is. You don't want what well, good was it Cobertine? Is that the guy's name? Yeah, it was. It was okay. Cobertine. You had that very well said. Okay, so now we're talking about the Rio Olympics. And the Rio Olympics have been an utter disaster from the start because of of course the International Olympic Committee is what do you think, Robbie? IOC or FIFA? Who's more corrupt? Oh, uh well, man, that's really tough. I, I feel like I lean towards FIFA a little bit, but, man, that's really a close call. When you say corrupt, what do you mean? <laughs> uh, I mean it linguistically, mm. in that they use words that mm. have fallen out of favor in mm. modern parlance. Mm -hmm. no, they, it, so you have to bid. Your, your countries make bids to host the Olympics, but that's a boondoggle because no country has reported revenue from an Olympics hosting event. So every country loses money doing this. So the obvious question is, why do countries do this? Well, because it benefits certain oligarchs and plutocrats mm. who are the ones making the bids. So they can pocket money that goes into the construction of these stadiums, which after these stadiums are constructed are then left to-, Ghost towns. to So there's wonderful photo essays on Sochi and Athens, where you look at these old stadiums that really are just like ghost towns that the IOC demanded get built. So the oligarchs and the plutocrats benefit, the IOC benefits, the host country in no way benefits. But so you're telling me the leaders of the host country in many cases benefit, but the citizens of those nations, they see very little economic benefit and tourism and revenue to their cities or nation. Right, because these things are being built through taxes. So now in Rio, you have these slums. People in slums actually being displaced so a stadium can get built, ignoring just the financial burden that the state has to take on for doing this. So, Brent, just to be clear, you're telling all of the Afterguners and all our listeners out there, if their city, like we live in Jackson, Michigan, if Jackson, Michigan wants to put together a bid to host the Olympics as just your Joe average citizen, we should oppose the Jackson, Michigan 2024 Olympic bid. 
Well, you should unless, I mean, we're never going to get it. And in that case, you should do it because it would be hilarious. But well, maybe it'd be hilarious if we got it, and then may, all of a sudden, maybe we have the chance. No one started this yet. Maybe we could be the plutocrats that actually put forth <laughs> this bid, and so we're the ones that benefit. In which case, after Gooners, we want all of you to get behind the Jackson, Michigan, twenty twenty four Olympic bid. Plutocrat is actually the job title on my business card. It's finally coming in handy. We've got the Hot Air Jubilee, and now we've got the Olympics. No, so Chicago made a bid for this Olympics and lost. And what a boon to Chicago that yeah, they that's lost. Great it. Boston was bidding for, I think, 2024 or something like that. But the city started uh, doing, I don't know what they did, pollings or something like that, but the the voice of the people was, stop doing this, we don't want the Olympics. Because it's finally got out, and I mean, there's enough information yeah. out there that no one benefits from having the Olympics Good. in your country. But when you're as corrupt as countries like Brazil, it still happens. Yeah. So what's happened is, and I'm sure our listeners have heard some of these stories of how bad things are right now in Rio. So we're recording this just a few days before opening ceremonies. And 12 of the, I think, 39 Olympic Village apartments are considered safe. Australia, Italy, France, these countries are currently keeping their athletes in hotels because of plumbing and fire safety concerns in the Olympic Village. And when you look at pictures of the Olympic Village, even their intended construction, it looks like a youth hostel. Wait, are you, are you telling me that Kevin Durant and Carmelo Anthony are not able to stay in the Olympic Village? <laughs> All of the USA Basketball Olympians are not able to stay in the Olympic Village? I've got a feeling if you're a celebrity coming in, you're staying somewhere off-site. Transportation lines that were supposed to come in did not get built, so traffic is going to be a nightmare. The most famous disaster is the waterways of Rio. Where so, some of the open swimming events in the Olympic triathlon are going to be held. Right. So most of the, swim, the, the swimming events are generally in a arena. But, but you, you've got things rowing, like, right? like rowing. I think there's a sailing event. Canoeing. I think there is an open long oh, distance swim, open okay. water swim. Yeah. So I want it's the waterway where an event is going to occur. A beach outside of Rio is one. This is this is not an exaggeration. This is from CBS News. You can look it up. It is 1.7 million times more polluted than a U.S. beach. There is a 99%, this is true, a 99% of viral infection if you swim in that water. So different countries have tried to invent suits that their swimmers can use, but then the science is like, yeah, the suits aren't really going to help. Their open, raw sewage is literally poor. Does it sound like I'm happy I, about I, it? It does. I just wish, I wish, <laughs> this is one of the downsides of the podcasting medium is our listeners cannot appreciate the pure joy that is just exuding from your eyes as he's sharing this, that he said, the pounds of sewage, the raw sewage. I have no joy that these athletes who have trained their whole life are going to have to do this. I have no joy that the people of Rio have to live with this kind of raw sewage. I do have joy that the, <laughs> the corrupt officials in Brazil have lost all the esteem that they thought this would bring. They were supposed to build eight water treatment plants, and they built one. Oh my so there's still just raw sewage going. See, a but mutilated body was found. Just like, okay. Again, the twinkle in your eye when no, you said that, mutilated. That, no, a mutilated body was found at Copacabana Beach, and that's where the beach volleyball competition. Yes, Copacabana. The Copacabana wow. is the Barry from, Manilow Copacabana. Yes, that's set in Brazil. Okay, Copacabana Beach. It's in Rio. How does uh, how's that song go? I, I, at the Copa, Copacabana. Okay, I, yeah. I actually think it's not set in Copacabana. I think it's set in a club in Miami or something like that. But it's named after okay Copacabana Beach. But a mutilated body was found where they're going to do beach volleyball. The police for the last couple of weeks, have been protesting the Olympics with signs at the airport saying, welcome to hell. We will not be able to protect you because the police are on strike for not getting paid. We haven't even started talking about the Zika virus. So here's, here's what someone, some might say that this is a positive having the Olympics because even though the eight sewage treatment plants didn't get built, there's one sewage treatment plant that was built as a result of Rio hosting Olympics that would have not been there before. And the police have a platform, an international platform to bring their plight and their grievances 
in front of the international community and kind of shame, hopefully shame whatever municipalities to uh, pay their police. I think that's like praising Mussolini for getting the trains moving on time. Here, here. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not to... saying I agree with it. I'm just sure. saying some would well, say I think that would there be is the... a slight benefit uh, pulling pulling some up and adding I, I some I think things. that's only a benefit when you ignore all the cost. Uh, so there's Zika. So Zika, mm-hmm. you're going to have athletes who – athletes are being passed out condoms when they arrive because Zika can be sexually transmitted. And, and there's a great fear of then bringing it back to your own country. And uh, – some athletes are actually using sperm banks ahead of going to the Olympics and freezing eggs. Because you can potentially transfer Zika up to two years or so, three years. So athletes, some athletes that have not had children yet but still are thinking they might want to have kids are making sure that they will have non, if non-Zika, there's no chance they can, they can still procreate. Mm-hmm. We, and, and they're still uh, in the waterways where they're swimming. They've found uh, antibiotic-resistant bacteria. So you also have the chance of MRSA and staph infections and then taking these sort of bacteria all over the world, right? So that's that's obviously low on the scale, but it's just none of this is thought out. None of this has uh, all the promises. It's a disaster. They this is this is a true story. They shot and killed the Olympic mascot. They Brazil, it was like, was like a jaguar. It was or? a jaguar and it's Name was like Gunga or Ginga or Gingo or something like that. And there was a torch event. And they had this jaguar from some zoo that was the official mascot. And on transporting it back to the zoo, something went wrong. It went after a vet and they shot and killed it. So in terms of you're looking at this, you're backing me up here, Billy, by looking this up. Juma. Juma. Okay. I think the Gingo was like the... Cartoon mask. We have a moment of silence for Juma right now. Let's do that. I think that's long enough. I mean, what what is more? Is it, is it, I've never done a moment of silence before. Is that how they're supposed to end? Where you say, "I think that's long enough." I, I, <laughs> <laughs> that's a tad bit better than "Let's get on with it." Yeah, Ginga is their Olympic team mascot, or who like reportedly that. is not dead, Hopefully but not. might be ransomed by gangs because. <laughs> Or striking police. In the in the past year in Rio, murder is up fifteen percent and robbery is up thirty percent in the just in the last year. Yeah, now, but it was it, zero before that. <laughs> so it actually remains at zero. Yeah. So So you know, you talked about some of the concerns with water and the villages not being built and Zika, and which is why we've had some of the events where the elite athletes are just not wanting to go. Like golf. I think the top four or five golfers are like, ah, we're just, we don't want to go. And it's the first time golf is going to be an Olympic event. So you think it's not, a historic moment. But they're not going because, like, I don't want to risk Zika and there's no place for us to stay. Who cares? I want, it's not a big deal in golf anyway. It's the four majors in yeah. golf that are the big deal. Which I, I don't know if – I don't want jump to in, jump into early to some of the events you want to talk about, Brent. But why – you know, why – I feel like the Olympics probably should be for sports or events – where the Olympics is the pinnacle of that sport, that well, event. Like like swimming, I know you said, hey, swimming's like a big deal in the Olympics, but that's because no one ever pays any attention to swimming right. except during the Olympics. Track and field, uh, the, another good example of a yeah. sport where the biggest event in that sport is winning a gold medal in the Olympics. Well, what you're really talking about was is Cobertine's original idea was that this was for amateurs. So we have professional sports leagues. So I guess the thought would be if you have a professional sports league that is in some way marketable or able to sustain a salary or something like that, then it shouldn't be an Olympic event because the Olympics were for amateur athletes. So LeBron James, he's not coming to this Olympics, but he goes to the previous Olympics, plays in basketball. Not only is it silly because it is sort of a step down from an NBA championship, but it's also, well, you're a professional. I mean, you're doing what you're doing at the Olympics for money. And this was meant to be amateur. But, you know, uh, Track and field, swimming, those are those are all professionals. They they're on the professional circuit in their sport. Usain Bolt is a millionaire. He's making plenty of money running as a professional runner, which is not a big not big in the US, but is a bigger deal in other parts of the world. Yeah, I, I mean I you're right. And but what about I, bowling? Is is bowling in the Olympics? Bowling is not. Bowling? I surely not. But let's talk about what is in the Olympics. So I know you're gonna watch the gymnastic events. 
and secretly hoping for the you know the fall i mean that's that's it's sort of like a Na- i mean people make fun of people who watch nascar but people watch the olympics for the same reason and you're going to watch your swimming and michael phelps is amazing and is going to get more medals than anybody else and this is his fifth olympics wow. that's that's the amazing Holy thing cow. fifth olympics because that's a 20-year span that's incredible i, I feel like with swimming though that's an athlete can have longevity in that as opposed to maybe running or but th- no one's done or... this before not that's, in swimming. That's fantastic. I mean, I think, yeah. I mean, but it was not. I think to Billy's point, it's not uncommon for the elite swimmers to their career to span four Olympics, sure. three to four Olympics. Okay. But yeah, the first one five. But I would Olympics. think if it's going to happen in any any activity, it's going to be a non-pounding sport. Yeah, something so, a little less impact. So current sophomores in college have never known a world where Michael Phelps was not <laughs> winning medals in the Olympics. What a planet! So, I want to give you a couple of events to watch and you're going to have to watch it online because there's no way NBC is going to show these events and if you do watch the Olympics we don't recommend that you do don't you know if NBC doesn't get revenue from this they won't support it and push it if they don't support it and push it then maybe the corruption won't be as bad in the future Olympics but if you are going to watch it you're probably going to have to watch it online because what NBC does is they do a human interest story focus on like one athlete and then show just the finals of that athlete or something like that. So you actually, it's not just like nonstop sports unless they're doing it on one of their third tier sports channels. The first event that you should, if you're going to watch, Robbie, we've talked about this one. It's a very exciting event. The modern pentathlon. Billy, you know nothing about the modern pentathlon, but you know how many Events are in it. So go ahead and guess what those five events are. Okay. Modern. So perhaps it's eating as many hot dogs as you possibly can (laughs) would be one. One for one. Uh, You know those inflatable giant icebergs that will be in like ponds or lakes at camps? It's climbing to the top of one of those. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Am I I doing good? Two for two. Uh, Another one is... Putting on as many T-shirts as you can, as quickly as you can. Three for three. Um, looking around the room for ideas here. Oh, uh, drinking as much coffee as possible. <laughs> that comes immediately following the hot dog event. So there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of vomiting in the modern pet and, and I think the fifth one, if I could jump in, Billy. Yeah, as please do. Pokemon Go. The new edition <laughs> this Rio Olympics. Just people walking around staring at the phone. At least we're getting exercise. That's what Cobertine always wanted. Uh, I love your modern pentathlon. Unfortunately, that's not the Olympic modern pentathlon. Mm. It consists of horse jumping, fencing. When you say horse jumping, do you mean that you are jumping over horses? (laughs) (laughs) It's actually horses jumping over other horses. You're riding a horse that is jumping over another horse. Horse, horse jumping. (laughs) Uh, no, you get on a horse and you jump. And it also includes swimming, a 200-meter swimming event. It includes fencing. It includes running. And finally, pistol shooting. Ooh, that's really fun. So it's about a 200-meter swim? It's a 200-meter swim. It's a 3K run. 3,200-meter run, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, shoot three or f- you shoot three different times. Now, this event has been there since 1912. Cobertine himself invented this event. Oh, wow. Wait, and event. so that was the the modern pentathlon started in 1912. That's why it's called the modern pentathlon versus the ancient Olympics. That's why I was thrown off. And the reason you have those five events, like it sounds so random, but it, these were events that he believed showed a cavalry soldier at his top ability. Sure, that makes so sense. So you got a fence, you got to shoot, you got to ride a horse, you gotta, might have to swim. Uh, and then what am I leaving out? Run. And you've got to run. So these were all to show a sort of modern soldier. Now, things have changed since 1912. So, and they, so in 1996, they changed it so that all the events are in one day. Because it used to be over several days that you'd do these. Mm. Now it's at one. It's in one day. And they did that more so for the spectator. Absolutely for, for the, the television. The right. television audience, because there is a big demand for the television audience to watch the modern <laughs> pentathlon. <laughs> That's what we're hoping for. And uh, 
They also changed in 2009 that the running and the shooting event are now combined. So it's a three. Well, you're running and shooting like no, an well, action movie. You run. <laughs> that you sounds sh- modern. You shoot. You run a thousand meters. You shoot. Uh, you run a thousand meters, which and is, then you shoot and run the final thousand meters. Which this is similar to the biathlon, which is in the Winter Games, where you cross country ski, you stop, and you. I think it's rifle shooting. Yeah. Right. Right. And then in, you ski further. In the biathlon, you're actually carrying your rifle. Here, you don't. You stop at different stations and shoot. And the previous three events determine your starting time in the running. So if you're in the lead, you get the start, and then second place is like three seconds behind or something oh, like wow. that. Oh, wow. That's interesting. But now you're, you're, it's a laser pistol. Wait, are you serious? Oh. It's a laser pistol. It's, you're not even shooting a projectile anymore. So that's safe. safety first. I guess. No, it's a laser. That's more dangerous. Wait, it's like a laser that can hurt you? Or it's a laser? Yeah. It's weird because they have a trigger system on it now that tries to recreate what it's like shooting an actual gun. So there's like a pause. But yeah, you're just shooting a laser. You stop at this like midway game sort of yeah, but area. What, but what you're shooting at bursts into flame. So why <laughs> yeah, why not why not just have like an arcade set up with one of those rifles and you shoot at the buck when it comes by? Yeah, buck hunter. It's a great I don't know, why not just have a laser pointer? This is this is what we're you're gonna just do using a laser pointer. When we create the postmodern pentathlon, <laughs> oh my we, gosh. that's what I mean, I think we we're gonna break this into two parts. We're gonna have an entire hour episode just on the postmodern pentathlon. That's a fantastic idea. <laughs> But unfortunately, we only have 10 minutes right now. Uh, so we only have 10 minutes? We are at 54 minutes right oh now. Oh, my. All right. So <laughs> Most of that was talking about Pokemon. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, that's the modern pentathlon. Now, we have three athletes in the modern pentathlon for this Olympics. And we do have a chance at meddling with our – we have two females. They're sisters. Our two female – and by, and by meddling, you mean the winning a medal, not the usual afternoon or meddling in other people's affairs. <laughs> well, they're going to do that, too. Those Olympic Village walls are very thin. <laughs> but, okay, so the three, the three favorites. Oh, uh, I don't know the three favorites. There are three favorites. I don't know. Wait, didn't you say you just have three people Look, to root I for? I only looked at the one name who might meddle. She's got a chance. Margot Isaacson. That's all. So Look, I can tell you I got ten minutes. I got to move on. Hey, can I can I just talk about the shooting for a second? Yeah, please. One uh, when I was doing research for this uh, special Olympic anti Olympic preview episode, I came across the Olympic games that we no longer have, and one of them is a shooting contest from the early days of the the modern Olympics, and I think it only made it one only lasted one Olympics, but in 1900, they had a, an event called live pigeon shooting <laughs> and i the winner the winner shot 21 pigeons dead out of the air and won a gold medal so wait they didn't just go to some random field well see here's here's Did what they i release them the, i have no more details beyond this but i want and i want to find out i want to interview the author who wrote the book on live pigeon shooting because i want to know did they have all the contestants in a line and they just released like Thousands of pigeons, and then everybody just shoots as many as you can. How do you know who shot which ones? Do they do this once at a time? Was the was this guy dominant? Was twenty one a lot? Was the was the next guy only getting ten? That's those are great questions. But maybe that could be one of the events for the postmodern pentathlon because it's a virtual pigeon, and you put on a VR set and you try to shoot the virtual pigeon, and then have a virtual drink in the sweat lodge afterwards. My mind is blown right now. <laughs> Let's move on. All right, so the other event to care about, and this is one that's often mocked, so I want to sort of dig below the surface with this one, race walking. <laughs> so it is an Olympic event, and it's been an Olympic event the entire Olympic history. Sunday School Billy, are you just required to laugh at that as a former runner, competitive runner? You just have to laugh at the phrase race walking? No, I'm just excited to hear how Brent is going to – Lead us along as we dig deeper into race Look, walking. Look, yeah, you're uh, get ready to be fascinated. I can't wait. So there's two basic rules to race walking. The knee the, can't. Well, the first one is right. about the knee. The yeah. knee must be straight as the body moves across the hips. Right? Does that make sense? It's so something like yeah, something technical. And then the second one is that you can't have two feet in the air at the same time, as perceived by the human eye. So people take still photos, and it's it's actually okay to have your feet sure. both off the ground. 
when you do the race walking event, there's a 20 kilometer and a 50 kilometer. Oh my god. The 50 kilometer is only for men. Not sure what that's about, but I am. There are the, <laughs> there are judges who give you yellow cards and then red cards because they've seen you break one of those two rules. So the yellow card is that just a hey, watch it, you're violating this. And or is a, that or is there a penalty? No, you get a certain number of red cards and then you're disqualified. So it's happened in several events or several times is that people thought they won. A guy from Mexico thought he won the race walking event. He is literally on the phone with the president of Mexico who is congratulating him and he is then told that he is disqualified cuz the, they have to count up all the red cards. Cuz you can get more than one red card. So how many red cards can you get because it seems I don't like know. it seems like the the what strategy you, then is that you want to hit as many red cards as you can without going over. Well, each each judge can only give one red card to an individual race walker. So you, you so you mean if you're the judge and I'm a Olympic race walker, Brent Klein, you cannot follow me the entire race and give me multiple cards. You can only hit me with one infraction. Exactly. And you as a racer don't know when you get a red card from a certain judge. You know how many red cards you got, but you don't know what judges gave them to you. It would seem like it'd be helpful to the racer to race walker to know when they get a red card at that point in the race to say oh i didn't realize i i better be careful someone you you do find out that you've gotten a red card during the the end of a lap or at the end of something but maybe at the end of every kilometer or something but you don't know which judge gave it to you so that way you can't just avoid that judge i don't know this gentleman's name but every every fall at homecoming on our campus at spring arbor university they do a 5k a competitive, you know, 5K road race. And we have a guy, I'm not sure his connection to Spring Arbor or the university, a guy that comes out and does, is a race walker. And he used, he was actually on the U.S. Olympic race walking team at one point. Well, he, you probably noticed his style of walking then. It's very odd because you really thrust your hips from side to side. And he walked faster than I could run. It's amazing. It is amazing because I think they, it's seven minute miles are, that's right. amazing. So this is, you're like, well, what is this doing in the Olympics? This is ridiculous. But here's the thing. In the 19th century, walking was America's number one spectator sport. Really? It was England's number one spectator sport. It was the number one sport to gamble on. This is, you in Madison Square Garden, you had competitive walking where people would, would be there drinking, gambling, thinking that other people are fixing races. Like, you might fix modern horse races. And the reason this came to be is this man, Edward Payson Weston. And in 1861, after the election of Abraham Lincoln, he made a bet with his friend about who would win the election. He lost. So by losing the bet, he had to walk from Boston to Washington, D.C. for the inauguration. And he did it. And he did it in 10 days. He walked from Boston to D.C. in 10 days. Wait, how many how many miles is that? I think like 478 miles. So 47 miles a day. I, I mean, if that's, that's then, pretty impressive. In 1867, he walked from Maine to Chicago in 26 days. Oh, so he, he leveraged losing this bet into a career as a celebrity. He was an absolute celebrity. 343 nautical miles is what Sunday School Billy has. As the crow flies. That's still impressive. I mean, 34, 35 miles a day. That's really impressive. It it. These were long-distance races. Sometimes they were in sort of like a Madison Square Garden, but other times they were just people making bets, like can can Weston get from Chicago to St. Louis in two days, and then people betting whether or how many days, and people betting, and then accusations that he's rigging it by slowing down or something like that. This guy was an absolute celebrity. One of the biggest celebrities in sports. That's fantastic. It beca- I mean, this is what there are books written on race walking. It wasn't. It was called pedestrianism in the 19th century. This guy, Weston, he he was a dandy too. He he loved the celebrity. He loved the fame. He would race walk into a city and then change clothes before he went into the city because there were such huge crowds waiting for him, and he just wanted to be the center of attention. So. You said that I, I wonder if there's current gambling lines on this Rio Olympics that I could, if I wanted to, I could go and bet on race walking, like who's going to win the competition, because it seems like an, a very fixable, like very fixable, if you wanted to bribe, you know, a certain outcome, a very fixable with all these, all these anonymous judges along the side, 
So, hey, you could really throw a competition. So I'm just surprised to hear you say it was very popular and there's a lot of betting on it because it seems like it'd be easy to be, be easily be corrupted. It was easily corrupted. That's why Weston was often accused because sometimes he'd race against another person, but sometimes he would just be racing against time. And so someone would make a bet, and he was supposedly in league with a guy from Tammany Hall, the famous Tammany Hall in New York for Irish immigrants. Speaking of Irish immigrants, uh, another race walker, another pedestrian was Dan O'Leary, who was an Irish immigrant from Chicago. And if you're going to like a certain race walker or pedestrian from the 19th century, it's Dan O'Leary. Because he was an Irish immigrant, he wasn't going after fame. He beat Weston a whole bunch of times, even though he never got uh, as famous. And uh, pedestrianism was very popular among African-Americans after the Civil War, extremely popular. And O'Leary essentially sponsored the best African-American runner, walker. Mm. Frank Hart was his name. And O'Leary sort of sponsored him, helped him get his career going, who essentially made a fortune off of competitive walking. So when you go to the Afternooner dot com website to our store you're not going to find any replica edward payson weston jerseys you're going to find dan o'leary jerseys you're going to find frank hart race walking jerseys you are, i mean i i mean i honestly think a jersey would probably just be a 19th century dress shirt because i don't know what they're wearing when they do this i mean people... i mean it probably had a just a polyester button-down shirt which now we use polyester as wicking fabric you think they had polyester i don't i just i know they had not cotton really. not really it breathes but it's also considered death fabric because it weighs you down it weighs you down and it never dries out what are we going to wear when we do our canoe race nothing all cotton <laughs> all cotton we're yeah, going to wear like a, bee, a beekeeper suit because oh, i don't no, want to we... get any i don't want to get sunburned we just wear our, uh, Even when they tell us it's a night race. Our, our Jean attire. We just wear our Jean attire. Which uh, all those people that shared and retweeted, we still never sent out or do a drawing. We still have those did Jean. Did people share and retweet? Some, yeah, some people did. We were, Remember we talked about this. We think a few of them were people we knew or yeah. that we thought were actual listeners. But many of them were just people that saw the hashtag freebie in the uh, the tweet. Well, we got to get – I mean, it's every day I see that jean vest, and I think, ah, I just need to throw this thing out. So we got to figure out who we got, it's going we got to. we got to figure that out. We can still figure that out. We'll, we'll do that eventually. I think what we're also going to do is we're going to tweet out the schedule for the pentathlon and race walking. And then on Twitter, we'll, we'll give out some inspirational quotes from race walkers over the years. I'm going to work on the order of events for the postmodern pentathlon. Well, we get we get to ask our listeners, hmm. after Gooners, what should be in the postmodern pentathlon? What are some of those events? Tweet at us at the afternooner or call us at 517-798-6187. Mm. Come on, man. 517-798-6187. I didn't salvage it at the end there. Yeah, I mean, the first six numbers were just straight. Hey, why don't you do it the way Edward Payson Weston walked? 5177. I don't know how. Ah. Can I tell you one more crazy fact about this guy? That might give me the inspiration I need to, to sing it like he talked. In England, there was a guy named Lord Astley, and he made up a. <laughs> that's his name. A S T L E Y. Just like Rick Astley. Yeah. The, the pop singer from the late 80s. They're probably related. So this was the original Rick Roll. Well, this guy, yeah. So this guy made a belt, and it was called the Astley Belt. And. <laughs> Look, people, that's historical. Look it up. <laughs> grow up. After Gooners out there, grow up. No, so he, but it was, it was a, what was it called? It was something like, go as you want. And it was just, get there however you want. You can run, you can walk, you can skip. You just, who can beat this? Who can get to like Chicago the fastest? Who can get to London the fastest? And it seemed to be the end for Weston, because he thought walking would be the best thing because people can't run everywhere. But no, walking wasn't. So do you know what he did at like age 50? He just taught himself to competitive run and then did really well and won. He was, he was insanely good at what he did. In 1907, 40 years after he went from Maine to Chicago, he did it again in 24 hours less than he did it the as a young time. man. Wow. Well, I he's still no Dan O'Leary. Let's be clear about that. For us, let's just hope that Edward Payson Weston never decides to come back from the grave and take up podcasting because he might just put the afternooner out of business. 
Why do you think he wouldn't be our friend? Because we've already claimed our affinity for Dan O'Leary and Frank Hart. Mm. That's right. You're if, right. If you'd like to call in and talk to us a little bit about Edward Payson Hart or Dan O'Leary. Ed, no, Edward Payson Weston. Edward Payson Weston. Thank you for catching that. <laughs> I don't know why I would have thought that Edward Payson Hart. Uh, it's ridiculous. But because of Frank Hart. That's why I got it confused. Mm. Uh, call in to us about that. Or if you want to make some suggestions for Sunday School Billy's uh, postmodern pentathlon events. Five one seven seven nine eight six one eight seven. There it that is. That's a lot better. There That's, it is. I've missed that, and I've missed you guys. Thank you for listening to the Afternooner. You can find us on Twitter. You can listen on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes, and Google Play, which has an Android user. I've been listening to us on Google Play <laughs> daily, as I am wont to do. We'll be back in August for a, the end another, of August. Another special edition. And then once uh, the academic year starts, so too does the podcasting year. Are we going to send out a press release announcing our, our yes. second full season? We're going to send it to MLive. Just see what they do with it. To Greg O'Connor? You bet we will. Until next time. So long. Uh-huh.